we do say, give us clean hearts. Lord, I'm reminded of your word where it tells us that you are the potter and we are clay. Lord, and we can humble ourselves because we know that you make us into more than we could ever make ourselves into. And so, Lord, would you make us pliable to you this morning, all of us? Lord, would you um, continue to mold and shape us into those that are full of you and those who give you glory? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, church. We're going to transition to probably my favorite part of the service. It's the word of the Lord. It's good. Um, If you haven't been with us, we as a church have been on a journey. Um, We've been on a journey of learning to cooperate with the Holy Spirit of the living God. And so what that means is that we believe that God is living and active and that his spirit lives in those who are surrendered to him and that he seeks to walk with us and guide us into good things, things that are good for us and things that are good for him and for his kingdom because those two things go together. And so we studied how we cooperate with that spirit. What does it look like to hear from the Lord? What does it look like to cooperate with the Lord? And from there we've been talking about obstacles things that keep us from cooperating with the Holy Spirit of God. And so last week we talked about the obstacle of people and programs. When we fail to trust the Lord and we trust in what advice we get or what program looks good on paper, then we aren't following the living Spirit of God. And this morning we're talking about something that might even be a little bit more painful than what we studied last week. And this week we're looking at the obstacles of human pride and human impatience. Raise your hand if you are a patient person. Teo is patient, I believe that. Yeah, we are, I think we are all in the same boat this morning. Patience is hard. Um, And so this morning we're going to pick up in the Old Testament and we're looking at the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 13. And we're going to be talking about King Saul. So just a a brief bit of catch up because I don't think we've been in the Old Testament in quite some time. So after God's holy people were delivered out of Egypt, after the Exodus, they were led by a series of judges. And at the end of the series of Judges, there was a prophet that the Lord raised up named Samuel, and Samuel was the leader of God's people. But Israel looked around, and they saw their enemies, and their enemies were getting mightier, and each one of their enemies had a mighty king. And so Israel came to the prophet Samuel, and they said, Samuel, you're not good enough. We need a king. We need a mighty king like all of our neighbors. And so the Lord raised up a man from the tribe of Benjamin named Saul to be a king of these people. And we are going to hear about Saul's second year on the throne. 
And so we're in 1 Samuel 13, that's page 433, if you're still looking. We're just going to read the first 15 verses. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan, his son, at Gibeah and Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and they camped at Michmash, east of beth And when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets, among the rocks, in the pits and the cisterns. And some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. And so he said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. And Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. And so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you, and if you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure, and the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left Gilgal, and he went up to Gibeah and Benjamin, And Saul counted the men who were with him, and they numbered about 600. This is the word of the Lord. It was painful. (laughs) Some situations are really tremendously difficult to be patient in, aren't they? 
I think about situations for us that are hard to be patient in, moments when you need to make split-second decisions. Um, about two years ago, my husband and I bought our first home, and things move so quickly, right? Like you see a house on the Internet, you look at it the next day, and they expect your bank to be behind you in like 10 minutes. Make a decision now. Even if you go to the store, right, if something is on a really big sale, what do they tell you? Act fast. Supplies won't last. You need to buy this right now because you're never going to get it at this price. Again, sometimes if you're driving in Grand Rapids right now, there's construction everywhere, right? And you come to a fork in the road, and the fork that you normally go is not going to take you where you'd like to go, and you're not sure how the other fork ends up, and so you're forced to make a split-second decision neither of which land you where you would like to be. Decisions that are made in haste very rarely turn out well, do they? As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a story that Mark Batterson told in his book, The 40-Day Prayer Challenge, which I know a number of you read. And so you might recall this story, but at one point, Mark Batterson, who was a pastor... Um, his church had developed this vision that they were to build a coffee shop in their neighborhood for the neighborhood. It was to be a place of prayer. And so they found a building and they started to pray through this. And they realized that in order for this coffee shop to be reality, it was going to cost them $2 million. This is in downtown Washington, D.C. That's why it's so expensive. And so Mark and his friends started praying. They started praying that the Lord would provide a way for this coffee shop to come into existence. And they prayed for about a year, and at one point, a friend came to Mark Batterson and said, I've got this business idea. And I think if you invest in this business, you would like quadruple your investment, and you would be able to pay for that coffee shop. And so Mark invested $15,000 of his own money, thinking, I've got to make this decision. Maybe this is how I'm going to make this coffee shop reality. And as it turns out, Batterson's business completely failed And he lost all that money because he made a decision in haste. Now, I think we can all relate to Mark Batterson's decision, can't we? We need to get from A to B, and there might be a way to get there if I do it my way. This makes sense on paper. It feels right to me. I would like to go this way. It makes sense to us, and it certainly made sense to King Saul in our story. So this this King Saul, imagine, if you will, that you're a young king. Saul's young. He's only about 30. He's just started. This is his second year on the throne. And when he had first been anointed to be king in 1 Samuel 10, Samuel the prophet went to Saul and he said, Saul, you need to go to where the prophets are. And Saul went down to where there were prophets worshiping. And the Spirit of God had fallen upon Saul in power and he'd begun to prophesy. And since then, every task that the Lord had had for Saul to do as king, the texts tell us that they were done in the spirit of the Lord. So at one point, the Ammonites had come for a city in Israel, and Saul went to the Lord, went to Samuel, and the spirit of God fell on him, and Saul and Samuel were able to defeat their enemies. Saul had started his reign as a king who cooperated with the Holy Spirit, a king who was humbled before the Lord. 
But after a year of success on the throne, Saul is getting a little too big for his britches, if you know what that means. He's getting a little full of himself. And so this morning we see that this king had chosen 2,000 men to be his personal bodyguards. And he has left his son with a 1,000 men to protect him in enemy territory. Now the Philistines are Saul's mightiest enemy and they'd become a problem. And so Saul had sent word to all of his armies that we might go to war. You need to be ready. So he says he sent everybody else home, but they are on call. Saul's men are ready. And now we don't know why, but Saul's son Jonathan decides to play a game of capture the flag with the Philistines. Instead of going to war, he sneaks into their camp and takes their flag. The flag that said, this is our territory. Jonathan goes and takes it back. And our text uses that word obnoxious. The Israelites just looked ridiculous to the Philistines. You didn't even wage war. You just came and took our outpost. You came and took our flag. So things started to get a little stressful for Saul after his son took this step. They start to get a little uncertain and the tension starts to build and Saul stops dancing with the Lord and he starts to make some very decisive choices. Saul summons his armies and says, ready, we're going to war. Saul had been a mighty king and he'd conquered those Ammonites and he would conquer those Philistines just as he had. But as Saul's armies started to gather together, so too did the Philistines. Did you catch those numbers? He is completely outmanned, completely outcharioted, if that's a word. He, he is toast. There is no way that this is going to go well. The Philistines were as many as the sand on the seashore. And that's just the men on foot. So Saul's men do what any good soldier would do in this moment, and they flee. <laughs> they they run away, and they hide, and they go to the caves, and they go to the thickets, and they even jump down cisterns in wells to hide, because we are all going to die out on this hill. This battle is not going the way the first one did for Saul. And so Samuel starts to think, what's different this time? And he realizes that Samuel, the prophet, isn't with him this time. How could Saul be sure that God was on his side like God was at the first time when they went to war? See, back in 1 Samuel 10, or yeah, Samuel had said to Saul, Go down ahead of me to Gilgal, which is where Saul is, and I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. Wait seven days for me, says Samuel, and I will come and I will tell you what the Lord's will is for this situation. But before the sun has even set on the seventh day, the day is not over, seven days are not over, Saul looks around and more of his men are gone. And he's nervous. And he's afraid. And at this point he's very aware that he's not going to win this battle without the Lord. So Paul has, or Saul has a brilliant plan. I'm Saul. I'm the king. I can do this myself. 
And so he summons the things needed for burnt offerings, the animals and the wood and the altar, for a fellowship offering and a peace offering. Now this is fascinating. The purpose of a burnt offering is general atonement for sins. It says, Lord, forgive us, and ask the Lord for favor. Lord, will you bless us? This is the kind of offering that you make before you're going to war. Lord, make me right before you and bless me with your favor. Now, a fellowship offering is also called a peace offering. And this offering is when you don't want to go to war. It's when you ask the Lord to create peace and unity, when you write yourself before the Lord that he might write you with those around you. Saul asks for both of these offerings. He's, he's got no right to make an offering. In the Old Testament, you've got very clear roles. You've got a king, you've got a prophet, you've got a priest. Kings run armies, priests make sacrifice. Saul is not a priest. But he makes an offering, and which offering does Saul choose to make? Saul makes a burnt offering. He doesn't choose the peace offering. He doesn't wait for the guidance of the Lord. He says, all right, I'm nervous, and we are going to war. So when Samuel shows up on the seventh day, as he promised, he says, Saul, what did you do? And Saul says, when I saw my army leaving, and when I saw the Philistines building their armies, I felt compelled. That word there actually means, in my anxiety, I felt forced. The fear, the pressure was so much that I felt like I had no choice but to do this. So Saul's got two problems here. The first is that he's impatient. He was unwilling to wait for Samuel. And in the Old Testament, the prophet's role was to speak the word of the Lord. He did not wait for Samuel, which means he did not wait for the Lord. He did not wait for the Lord to say if it was time to go to war or not. And Saul was also prideful. Pride is believing that your way is the right way, regardless of how it impacts others. Pride is when you rest on yourself and you don't look to the Lord or others for what might be a better or a wiser decision. Saul thought he could make this choice and that it would turn out well because he's Saul and he can do what he wants. In the words of an Old Testament commentator, Saul was more ambitious of gaining glory of a triumph to himself than ascribing it to God. He did not understand his proper position as the king, and although aware of restrictions under which he held sovereignty, he wished to rule as an autocrat, meaning he wanted to possess absolute power in both civil or king things and sacred things, prophetic things. And so Samuel is quick to tell Saul the consequences of his actions. He says, Saul, the Lord wanted to preserve your kingdom. He wanted to preserve your family. He was going to let your family reign in Israel for all of time. But because you wouldn't rest on him, because you wouldn't trust in him, the Lord is already raising up your successor. And he's going to be a man who seeks me in all things. And so Saul... The man who began our story as a young king with a 2,000-man personal bodyguard, a man who was dancing with the Spirit and had found favor in every situation he had encountered up to now, finds himself alone, without the favor of the Lord, and with 600 men left and his enemies knocking at the door. So when they're
teaching you to preach, they tell you not to be too mean to your enemy in the story. So we can't be too quick to uh, dismiss Saul because can you really blame him? Like if you were a young king and your enemy was coming and your men were fleeing and this prophet's not showing up and you need to show those enemies that you have power or they're just going to sweep over your whole country and it's going to be gone. I think we can all find ourselves in this situation. When we're faced with hard choices and whether the situation calls for a split-second decision or not, we often find ourselves in places where we have not taken the time to pray about it thoroughly. And even if we have taken the time to pray, have we taken the time to wait? Have we waited for that still, small voice? That thing inside that gives you peace and says, go ahead, or that thing inside that says, hold on, just wait a minute, that check. We ask questions. We're asked questions all the time, things like, should I participate in that ministry? How how should I handle this conflict with my spouse or my friend? Should I should I move to this place? Should I purchase this home? Should I go to this apartment? Should I date this person? Should I marry this person? Should I take that job? Should I send my kids to this school? Should I listen to this music or watch this show? Should I make that purchase? How often when we face these decisions don't we think, all right, I'll I'll pray about this issue, I'll ask the Lord. But do we wait? Are we a people who wait? When the time starts to tick past and the anxiety starts to kick in and we're like Saul and we're going, the fear in me is forcing me to make a decision because I can't sit with this anymore. Do we jump to our own conclusions when we don't get an immediate response from the Lord? For some of us, we weigh our options logically. We think mathematically, consequentially. Does this choice fit the budget? Does the timeline work? Does it meet the expectations that I have set for myself and for the way that I would like to live? For others of us, we assess our emotions when we look at decisions and we search for what will bring that spark of joy, that feeling of success. If I make this choice, would it make me happy? If I make this choice, would it ensure that I'm the winner and that I look good? If I make this choice, could I take a picture of it and post it on Instagram? If I make this choice, will it make me look a certain way? And for others of us, we just go with our guts. This is so me. I'm just going to go with this. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to trust myself to sort it out whether I'm right or wrong. And we just drive on. But before we know it, we're making decisions based on our own desires, choices based on our own wisdom, and choices based on our own instincts. And like Saul, we are too impatient to wait on the Lord. And we are too prideful to let go of how we would like things to go. But like Saul, and like Pastor Batterson in our opening story, we almost always find out later that decisions made in impatience and decisions made from pride rarely turn out well. Cost Saul and his generations the throne. Cost Mark Batterson all of his life savings. These are sad stories. The story isn't over yet. Now, the other thing that you're supposed to do when you write a sermon is you're supposed to look for grace. 
Where is the Lord's grace? The Lord is always good. How is he good in this story? And friends, I've got to tell you, it took me a long time to sort through what the grace in this story is. So Saul continues to rule on that throne for 42 years, I think the number says. But the whole way, he's literally at war with the Lord. And he just gets darker and more prideful. He gets lonely and he spirals completely out of control and he takes the whole country with him. But the grace in this story, it started before our our text for this morning even happened. When the Lord called that young man Saul to be the king, he never expected Saul to be a king by himself. From the first day that he was anointed by Samuel, he was given the spirit of the living God to equip and empower him for all that the Lord had. And he was given a personal prophet to speak the Lord's wisdom into him whenever he would ask. The Lord had planned to establish Saul's reign forever, for all time, if he would wait on the Lord, if he would listen to the Lord's voice, if he would surrender, and if he would walk with the Lord's guidance. And even though Saul is being punished in this story, the Lord has such grace for his people. The Lord chooses, empowers, and honors the next King David. And for the next 30 years while Saul sits on that throne, the Lord shapes and forms a humble shepherd boy into Israel's mightiest king. A king who walks humbly, a king who submits, and a king who obeys. See, despite Israel's pride and impatience in demanding a king, and despite Saul's terrible reign over this nation, the Lord is not finished with his people. And the Lord is not finished being a good God. And the Lord's timing can never be disrupted. As the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 30, the Lord longs to be gracious to his people. Therefore, he will raise them up and he will show them compassion for the Lord is a God of justice and blessed are those who wait on him. Mark Batterson found this promise of the Lord to be true. After he lost that $15,000, he went back to the Lord and he said, Lord, what next? And he started to pray again and he started to seek the Lord's guidance again. And he prayed and he prayed. And I think it was a couple years after this, he got a phone call one day. And a generous donor had felt compelled by the vision that this man had for for this coffee house. And he said, listen, I've got $3 million and I want to give it to you. Now, if Mark Batterson had just waited on the Lord, he would have $3,015,000. But he waited on the Lord. And the Lord made a way. The Lord's ways are good and his timing is perfect. And he will establish our ways if we wait patiently for his timing. And if we humbly wait and follow his guidance. 1 Peter 2.9 tells us that we are the people of God. And we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood and a holy nation. A people for God's own possession that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. Like Saul, you and I, we are kings. We were made to usher in the rule and the reign of God and his kingdom. 
But unlike Saul, we are prophets and priests too. We have God's Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. We don't need to wait for somebody else to show up all the time to speak the word of the Lord to us. He is alive and living in each one of us. When we're faced with conflict, are we waiting on the Lord? Are we asking if we should pursue it or are we lighting the fires of that burnt offering and saying, Lord, make me right? And we've got to make those hard decisions, the big financial ones, those ones that impact our loved ones, the ones that have roles to play in the future. Are we waiting? When we're faced with those split-second decisions, the scary ones, the ones where it feels like the world is collapsing around us if we don't make the right choice this minute, are we waiting? Church, the Lord has been in this process of calling us to be those who cooperate with him. And if we're going to cooperate with him, we've got to learn to wait for him. Even when it feels like we're waiting too long. If we're going to cooperate with him, we've got to learn to be humble and to trust that his ways are higher, even when they don't look the way that I would like them to look. As I was researching for this sermon, I literally just googled Bible verse, wait for the Lord. The Lord tells us to wait for him all the time. And it's always followed by a promise. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. He is inclined to me and he will hear my cry. As for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord and I will wait for the God of my salvation because my God will hear me. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient to each one of us, not wishing for any of us to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And the Lord makes us wait. We're waiting for a reason, and the reason is his goodness. And so this morning as we come to a close, I believe the Lord is inviting each one of us. I think he's standing up in front of you all and he's saying, trust me. Trust my timing. Learn to sit in my presence and wait for my goodness because I promise you, if you wait, I will speak and I will be good to you. And so the song that we're going to sing is a song of response and we basically say, I give myself away. And so before you sing those words, I want you to think about them. I want to invite you to think about, are you willing to say that to the Lord, that I will give myself, my timing, my agenda, my hopes, my dreams, will I give them to you and trust that you are good. So I'm going to invite the worship team up and I'm going to pray for us. Will you pray with me? Lord, this is hard. It's hard to lay down the things that we would like. It's hard to lay down the hopes and desires that we've wanted forever. It's hard to lay down our timing and our anxiety and our fear and our sense of what we need. Lord, would you make us humble? And if there's anything that stands in the way of us trusting your goodness, Lord, would you would you make a way? And Lord, would you make us those who seek you in all things? Would you establish our rule and reign as you did for David? Lord, would we be humble and patient and peaceful 
ambassadors of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. tender spot this morning just want to invite you to stay there we'll have prayer partners available up front if you want to pray with somebody about it and if you just want to sit um, just want to invite everyone else to respect our space sit and linger linger with the Lord and respect the noise and so as we go from this place the Lord bless and keep you The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord lift his countenance upon you and fill you with his peace. Amen.